This is Mike. And Christina. This is Blind Chick Living Interviews with care partners. Patients. And pretty much all in between. Anybody that that helps with medical. Yep. Anybody that grows up with it. Yep. And again, these are opinions. We are not doctors. Please do not take what we say as fact. Yep. Same with the interviews. It is their journey and it's their journey alone. If you have questions, follow up with your team. Yep, yep. Bye. Bye. Yep. All right, here we go. Okay, this is Mike. And Christina. And this is the Blind Chick Living podcast. And we are interviewing... Julie Nest. And uh, so, yeah, here we go. Okay, Julie, you ready for this? Yeah. All right. You tell us whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay. So pretty much just tell us where you're from and I guess start when all of this started. So, um, I'm from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, born and raised. I still live here. <laughs> um, you want to hear my whole story from the beginning? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, let's hear okay. it. Whatever you um, want to show, so. Okay, so my mom passed away when I was 15. She was killed by a drunk driver. And my way to cope with that grief was to constantly drink all the time oh. at a young age of, like, 18. Uh, it was my senior year of high school, and I would go to school hungover. Sometimes I would bring alcohol and sneak it into my water bottles it was my way to cope with the grief and then at the end of my senior year I was diagnosed with kidney failure I just felt like I had the flu like I had a really high fever um was throwing up I had the chills you know just flu symptoms And I went to the clinic the next day and they did lab work and said that my kidney function was dropping down pretty low. And how how old were you at this time? 18. I was 19. Oh, okay. So do they attribute it to the drinking? No. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say, because it didn't seem like you've been abusing it too, too much right at that time, so... Oh, it was pretty bad, actually, with the drinking, but... Okay. Uh, I actually had a lot of friends and family blame me for the drinking. Like, your kidneys shut down because of all the drinking you did. And I'm like, oh. it doesn't really affect your kidneys. It more affects your liver, but... Yeah. Um, after, like, months of testing, they found out it was called hydronephrosis. So as a child, I would get reoccurring bladder infections, and apparently they refluxed up to my kidneys every time I got an infection. I didn't know that. And I had a really bad bladder infection when I went into kidney failure, and I guess I didn't know it until it was too late, I guess, so... My kidneys were already scarred as it was from the reoccurring bladder infections as a child. So I guess that that last bladder infection just really did it. 
and really made my kidneys not work anymore. So I didn't start dialysis right away. Um, so this was 2004. In October of that year, I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And my high-risk doctor that I had told me to terminate my pregnancy multiple times. Every time I went into my appointment, I would go in for an ultrasound once a month. And every time I went in there, she said, you need to terminate this pregnancy. And I said, it's not up to you. It's not up to me. This is up to God. And I told her, this might be my only chance to have a baby. And I'm not going to get an abortion. And, and then, let's see, um, January of 2005, I was three months pregnant. And I started dialysis. Um, what, what form of dialysis were you doing in center? Yep, in center. Yeah. I've always done in center. Um, and then June of that year, June 6, 2005, my son was born at 36 weeks, weighing three pounds, four ounces. Wow. And he was, he was smaller than an 18 inch doll. He fit into doll clothing. <laughs> wow. Wow. And he was 36 okay. weeks. Yep. What about, what about health wise when he was born? He was healthy. He just had to be under an oxygen tent for the first 24 hours. And then he was in an incubator for like a week um, because he was a little jaundice and he couldn't keep his body temperature regulated. So they needed to keep him in there. How was, how was dialysis while you were pregnant with him? Um, it was good, actually. It wasn't that bad at all. Um, Actually, two days after I had him, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Oh. And it was due to um, not knowing how much fluid to take off during my pregnancy, whether it was pregnancy, pregnancy weight or fluid weight. And it happened to be fluid all building around my chest. So once I, once I had him that fluid just stayed on my body and ended up with congestive heart failure. Um, I was going to Fresenius at the time and my heart was functioning at 25%. And after two years, I had a chest catheter. Um, after two years, um, my catheter stopped working. So I had to get a new one. And Apparently, the surgeon that took the chest catheter out put the new one in the same spot. So it caused a really bad staph infection. And uh, so I went into dialysis the next day and I said, it doesn't feel right. Like I can barely move my head. I can't even move my arm. It really hurts. And um, they, they looked at it, and they said, oh, it's normal. The manager of the clinic and the doctor looked at it. Oh, that's normal. It looks good. I went into the ER that night with 104 temperature. Okay. And they said I had a staph infection, and they admitted me into the hospital right away. And I was in the hospital for a week. I had to have antibiotics and 
um, I told the doctor that had me that I said, I don't want to go back to Fresenius and get me into the other clinic that's in my town. And so they switched me into the other clinic right away. So when I got out of the hospital, I, instead of going back to Fresenius, I went to DeVita. And um, I had a phenomenal nephrologist within three months of transferring to that clinic and transferring doctors. Uh, my heart went from 25 to 75% function. Wow. My blood pressure was maintained to a normal level. Um, and now my heart is normal function. And I think after about a year, maybe two years, my cardiologist said, oh, we don't need to see you anymore. Your heart is doing really good. Hmm. So I haven't seen a cardiologist since probably 2007. That's awesome. Okay. And, and during this time, did you have any kidney function at all? No. Okay. So why are you a pregnant? Was it total kidney failure? Um, it so I got pregnant in October, and yeah, I slowly went into full-blown kidney failure by the time I was three months pregnant. Okay. Okay. Yep. Wow. Okay. Um, and, and then and I you're did doing, And you're doing this as a single mom and all that yep. stuff? Dang yeah, I was, still, I was still with Darian's dad at the time. Okay. Um, when... We got married in 2007, um, shortly after the staph infection that I had, actually. Um, and then in 2009, August 1st, I had a kidney transplant from a deceased donor. Um, and that lasted five years. After five years, um, it rejected due to me having this this story, this part of my story, it, I don't know, it really irritates me because it could have been prevented. The rejection could have been prevented in my eyes. I yeah. had a part-time job, and I got a teeny tiny raise, plus I was working more hours. And I was on state insurance, like our Wisconsin Badger Care or whatever, and that insurance was paying for my anti-rejection medications. Mm -hmm. And... I lost that state insurance because I was making like a couple hundred dollars more than it was to, to qualify for state insurance. Oh man. Um, and I did everything I could to get that insurance back. I cut my hours as, as low as I possibly could. Um, I even, I called um, a couple of like the drug manufacturers to see if I can just get like a free medication. One of the manufacturers says, no, we don't do that. The other one says, we'll do that if you had a double transplant, meaning like a kidney pancreas type of thing. Huh. And um, I looked into my work insurance and with me having a part-time job, there was no way I would have been able to afford the premiums and the deductibles. It was outrageous. It was ridiculous. Um, so my kidney rejected about a month later, total rejection, and I had to restart dialysis. So this was 2014. So did you actually like stop being able to afford your pills and so you stopped taking them yep 
because okay. I ran out. I ran out, and I actually got a a month's worth for free because I switched pharmacies right at that time, and my pharmacist told me, here, I'll give you a month's dose to keep you going, but that's all I can do because, you know, one of the medications, as you know, is over $1,000 a month, yeah. and the other one is pretty close to that. Um, so after the medication ran out, I went into full-blown kidney rejection, and I had to start dialysis. This was, like, September of 2014, and I've what? been on dialysis since. What insurance? did you have when you started dialysis? So I had to get work insurance. I had no choice because, you know, I was still trying to apply for disability or whatever. Um, and that's a problem. Yeah. So they had network health, which meant I had to switch back to Fresenius, the clinic that almost killed me. And I even wrote a letter to um, Network Health to try to get me to stay at Davida, and it didn't work. So I had I had to go back, and um, I was there for probably almost a year, and then my work insurance switched over to um, a different one. I forget what it was called, but I was able to go back to Davida with the new insurance, and then. Um, my disability kicked in shortly after that, and I decided to quit my job. This was like 2016. So I quit my job, and I decided just to live off of disability and SSI again, you know. So um, did you go back on to state insurance? Yep, I went on to, back on to BadgerCare, and then I also had Medicare as well. See, and and. Stories like this piss me off so bad. Yeah, it makes me mad too. Just if they would have just stepped up and helped or assisted, and, and now they're paying needed dialysis. Yeah, again. and now they're paying millions because yep. of all yep. all over a month of pills or a couple months worth of pills. Right. And and, and, and I was just trying to live the American dream and do what's right and be a part of society and finally get a job, a job that I actually enjoyed. And I, in the, the four years that I had the job, I was um, getting promoted like every six months to a different level or a different position in the, in the job that I was at, I was doing really well. So, you know, and like, it's almost like they don't want you to like, I don't know, do what is right and make a living for yourself. Hmm. I don't know. That is true. It's really frustrating because it was, mine was $1,500 a month. And when mm -hmm. I went in rejection, I was actually relieved because I didn't know where my next pills were coming from. Yeah. It's a sad place to be. It is. Dang. Yep. I'm sorry. Damn. Okay, so... You're back on dialysis. Yep. It's been a little over nine years now. It was nine years in, in September. Okay. And so. What procedures have you had during that process? During the nine years? Oh, gosh. Yeah, like, did you get fistulas? <laughs> um, well, I started with the chest catheter. And then I had that for about six months and then they put in a graft in my upper thigh 
Okay. Then why did okay. they go to thigh first? Because in the past, when I first started dialysis, they did the, the ultrasounds on my arms, and they determined that it wouldn't be a good a good idea because of how skinny I was. My arms were very small, tiny. Um, and now, okay, so then I had the graft put in. It matured, and then I got to use it. It lasted for about eight years until they had to tie it off because my circulation in my legs got really bad. Um, I ended up being diagnosed with peripheral artery disease, and so they had to tie it off to save the circulation in my right leg. Um, what did they give you at that point? So then they started me on blood thinners, and every three to four months I would have to have an angiogram done on my right leg, and they would go in there and put a couple of balloons in there to ex expand the arteries. Um, that was the last one I had on my right leg was in the fall of 2022. And I just had one done on my left leg in, oh gosh, when was that? I think it was November because you yeah. had yours done just days before me. Yeah, November I had one done. And, um, you know, and now the the left foot is really bad. I'm going through like some necrosis in on my big toe, and um, and I feel like that could have been prevented if they would have did another angiogram sooner on my left leg. But the doctor was like, "No, we don't want to do any more angiograms because it'll do more damage than good." And I went down to Madison, which is like an hour and a half away from my city to get a second opinion and they basically told me the same thing and um then i just decided well i'm not going to keep going down to madison to hear the same answer so then i went back to my other doctor and they said well we can do an angiogram on the left leg but it'll probably be the only one that we do i'm like okay well let's do it because anything is better right now than losing that left leg so so Throughout this process, when did you end up getting divorced? Um, so we didn't actually get legally married <laughs> because okay. uh, I would have lost my insurance because of being on disability and all that. Um, I and I didn't want to do that. So, I mean, let's see, we, we split in... 2009, shortly after my transplant, we split up, and then I got back together with him because I was stupid <laughs> in 2010. And then after Christmas of that year, I finally just left him for good. Um, and so we have haven't been single since then, or have you dated? I have dated. Um, I dated two other guys. Um, since then and then I was single for about eight years almost eight it's been about eight years now since I've been single and um, I decided to put myself out there again recently and start dating again and that n did not end well I found out what he was really like <laughs> um, a narcissist you know talking to other women behind my back type of thing. And 
I didn't even tell him why to begin with, why I was breaking up with him. I'm like, no, I can't do this. We were together only like two months. So it wasn't like I got really big emotional attachment to him. So, I mean, it is what it is, but yeah. Well, I can, I can vouch for one thing. And what city are you in again? Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I can tell you that Julie is sexy as hell. And if you are in that town, look her up because she's freaking amazing. <laughs> I'm going to have to say that because we've met her. <laughs> yeah. And okay. So I kind of have a question. So um, with you, so we met you in D.C. And yep. we actually like got to take you back to our hotel room and show you the machine and Show you mm-hmm. the setup and everything. And we got the most adorable message from your son. Just saying oh, thank really? you. And so tell me about your son. Tell me about him. So he is 18 now. He'll be 19 in June. He graduated in May with honors, which I was amazed. Um, he was born with glaucoma, congenital glaucoma. I had no idea until he was six months old. So the first six months of his life, and mind you, I'm going through dialysis and dealing with heart failure at that time. Um, it was, um, it was awful. He was screaming bloody murder the first six months of his life, almost like something was hurting him. And I took him back to the doctor like three times a week almost to figure out what was going on with him. First, they thought it was acid reflux, and then they thought it was, I don't even know. It, it was such a long time ago, but uh, um, he's right here right now, actually. Um, well, tell him I think he kicks ass. He sent me a uh, New Year's message, too, saying Happy New Year's, and he's he's just an awesome kid. So, Say Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, you're pretty amazing, you know. Thank you. I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> oh, well, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to um, meet sometime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm hoping to come up to uh, Washington, D.C. for um, for another year. Um, awesome. Yeah, for my first month. That would be cool. I mean, and if we can meet, that would be amazing. Yep, we'll so, do it. Yeah. Um. So... When he was six months old, I took him to the pediatrician again, and I said, look, there's something wrong. And I noticed that he was sensitive to any type of light. So if there was any light, even the dimmest lamp in the room would make him scream bloody murder. And we would have to put a cloth over his eyes, and he would literally scream, sleep, and eat. That was his normal like he wouldn't be awake to play like a normal baby would um so finally i took him in to the pediatrician and she said oh his eyes look kind of cloudy i'm like okay and she's like well i'm gonna refer you to an eye doctor down in milwaukee and he's gonna have to get an ultrasound done on his eyes and i'm like okay so we got that done and getting an ultrasound done on your eyes is not fun, especially for a baby, because they actually put the ultrasound probe right on your eye, like in the inside of your eye. Um, and I then we have that done. 
Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And then about a week later, we got the results, and they said, well, your son has glaucoma, and we need to get him in for surgery. And it was, I think, right after Christmas or right before Christmas. I can't remember. I think it was right before Christmas. <clears throat> he had eye surgery done, and within the next day, less than 24 hours he was a completely different baby just awake alert happy smiley giggly it was amazing <clears throat> well and, and i i Go just want to say at least you guys had an excuse my kid was just an asshole <laughs> and would just scream and do all the stuff you said but yeah yours was fixable mine was a female and just decided to stay an ass is your son still there? Darian, come here. So I think like I think there's a big area that gets missed really often with kids yeah. who have sick parents, parents that are sick their entire lives. And yep. it would be nice to kind of get his perspective and maybe him to maybe give some advice to other kiddos that are younger and they're going through it now. Does he have a minute? Yeah. I'm right here. Okay. I have Good. a minute. Um, uh, my perspective on things, um, uh, like how, like how you've been dealing with, like having a mom that's been. And what are things that like worked? Like I noticed I would have my daughter get in bed with me and kind of just make up stories for me. And that's how we spent time together. So I didn't have to get up and move. Like, what did you guys do to kind of get through it? Uh, during COVID. Um, sorry about that. During COVID, um, we would, we made a, we called it a boredom jar. It was a jar with popsicle sticks and written on them was different activities. And each day when I got my schoolwork done, um, and chores, we would, um, do an activity. We would do an activity. We would, um, we basically do, randomized yeah pick out. we actually did several activities a day because we were so bored we couldn't leave the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love and that. then like before that um we would take like trips and go on little adventures and stuff like that go ahead yeah I'm talking to you not me <laughs> um yeah it it's um it's definitely different than uh than what other kids go through um but i enjoy every minute of it even though sometimes me and her fight um well who's who doesn't fight that's right. a kid in a month right well i yeah. think like me personally like with my daughter i feel like um there's a certain bond there because i relied on her for things and she relied on me. It was kind of a give and take more than a normal parenting relationship. And yeah. do you guys feel like you have the same? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to give a perspective on that, too, because I was healthy and I was a single parent. And I can just say how hard it was just for me. And I was walking, you know, I was walking a ton and everything, but you know, just healing a single parent that's been sick and then having to deal with all the bullshit that I did, plus all of that, 
that's just crazy. And you guys are rock stars because of it, you know? Seriously. Thanks. So, so now that, well, well, we'll go back to Julie, if that's okay. And okay. it was an honor to meet you, talk to you. Definitely. And we look forward to meeting you again. So you, you're awesome. Um, so. I look forward to meeting you guys in person too, especially your um, your dog. <laughs> oh yeah, he'll be there. <laughs> yeah, he usually gets top props out of all of it, and then so, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, something when we were in D.C., you had a best friend that came with you. Yeah. And hearing how involved she is is absolutely amazing. It's insane. Do yeah. you want to kind of tell us how you guys came friends and how yeah. kind of that? So this year will actually be 30 years since we've been best friends. Um, she moved here from Las Vegas. And when it was like the middle of the school year, we were in fourth grade. And... She was the shyest person I have ever met. She hit her face. You know those old desks that have the lids that you can um, open up? She would open up her desk and hide her face in there. Oh. And during recess, she was on the swings by herself. And I was the first person that came up to her and talked to her. And I said, do you want to be friends? And then we've been friends ever since. We've been through all of it. We, we were in in each other's weddings. She was my maid of honor. Uh, we were there for each other when we had our babies. Um, she was there for me when I lost my mom. And the funny, well, not a funny story, but a really kind of intriguing story about that. The day that I found out that my mom died, I was at school. And we shared a locker together because a lot of my classes were pretty close to her locker and my locker was way off somewhere else. So we shared a locker and I went to that locker. I was standing there with my counselor and she said that she had this really bad gut feeling in her stomach and she had to, she felt like she had to leave to go to the bathroom and the bathroom was right across the hall from our locker and she was walking down the hall and I saw her and I was standing there and I'm like, Vanessa, come here quick. And that's when I told her that my mom died and to this day, she feels like that gut feeling was because of that. So, like, we have a bond like no other. Like, it almost feels like we're blood-related, but we're not. You know, like, we're we're sisters at this point. Like, her kids are my niece and my nephew, and Darian is her nephew. Like, we're sisters. You know, we just have an amazing bond. We've done everything together. That's amazing. Yeah. It really is. And when... When somebody steps up that has no, I, I don't want to say financial gain or anything. There's no gain other than they're just, just freaking awesome. For you. Is, yeah. is well. And, yeah. I, and I wish it wasn't because you hear stories all the time about people bailing, people not being there. And it is so awesome when you hear a story like this. It's kind of like yeah. when people ask me, well, why'd you stick around? I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? You know, she's yeah. freaking awesome. She's my best friend. Yeah. You know, and it's, 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 a, it, it, I wish it wasn't rare when you hear a story like that. 
because yeah. we met her and she She's is great. just freaking mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Um, so going to currently right now, what are you currently going through with, I heard you did the hyperbaric, hyperbaric chamber. chamber and stuff like that. Do you want to yep. fill us in on stuff like that? Yeah, so like I said, my left foot is going through a little bit of necrosis, which is very, very painful. It's um, on my left big toe. And I went to wound care about a month ago, and they said, well, how about we start you on the hyperbaric treatments? And I said, okay, what is that? You know, like I heard about it because, of course, I watch Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) And... um. And I knew what it was, you know, and I'm like, okay, so that will help. And she's like, well, we're hoping, but we'll give it a try. And they didn't have an opening until today. So today was my first day, and it is two hours long. I'll be doing it for five days a week for um, four weeks. And they said if they need to increase it, they can increase it um, by two weeks after that if I need to. So it'll be – um. At least four weeks, if not six weeks, five days a week. I know that. So um, I was very lucky. I I rode with like a nonprofit that took me to my dialysis center. And there was, there was this gentleman they would pick up after me. And he went in and had his leg amputated from below his knee down. And yeah. when they did it, they did not leave enough skin to close it up. And so oh, it was that's- just wide open and so every time I went to dialysis he was going to the hyperbaric chamber and so we basically went three days a week and I saw him all three and I slowly watched that wound get better and better and better and I can remember the day after about two months when he didn't have to go anymore and it was all completely healed so i honestly i truly think this is something that's really going to help you and be good for you i hope so yeah i like i said i was diagnosed with peripheral artery disease and it's from being on dialysis for such a long time and you know my younger years when i was on dialysis i was stupid and i didn't follow the diet and you know i live in wisconsin and cheese is like everywhere and it goes with everything so and I didn't take any phosphorus pills, or I should say rarely ever took those. And with that phosphorus being so high for such a long time in my younger years, it did some damage to my vessels. I think when you're a kid and you have these um, these obstacles put in front of you that are truly life-changing events, it's hard to wrap your head around that. And like... I can tell you, I was stupid too in the beginning and I didn't mm-hmm. follow the diet and I wanted to smoke cigarettes and they're like, oh, it's the worst thing you could do, you know, and I was adamant. It's the only thing I can do on my own. And, you know, like we, we come up with these ideas and it's just because our brain should not be processing stuff like that at that age. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not our fault. You know, we just didn't know any better. Right. So we met in Washington, D.C. at the Dialysis Patient Citizens Summit. And it was one of the coolest things meeting you. And like Christina said, we took you back to our room. We showed you our home dialysis setup and stuff like that. 
Gosh, yeah, what? we wanted to hook you up to dialysis right then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what what are you currently doing with the home dialysis right now? Is there any update on that? So, what really annoyed me is that as soon as I got back from DC, I told my doctor, "I'm like, look, I need to get into this. I need to look into it, and you know." find out if I can do this treatment. And they said that they don't offer it there, which I knew, but um, they said, well, it's offered in Green Bay, which is like about an hour from me. And then I found out that it was actually offered at Fresenius, <laughs> the other <laughs> clinic. Yeah, the other clinic. Um, so I, I was like, okay, get in contact with them because I found out that I won't actually be on the floor. I'd be just in the in the training room doing treatments there. And I'm like, okay. And it's a totally different nurse that does it. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, is the old manager there? And they said, no, she's retired. I'm like, thank God. Because if she was still there, I wouldn't go back, to be honest. Um, so I had the doctor look into it for me and get in contact with them. And it's been like two months and I'm not hearing anything. And I'm waiting for their phone call and nothing. Finally, they just said, well, here's the number. You call them. I'm like, okay. So then I called them, and I talked to the lady, and she sent me a bunch of information in the mail about it. And I told her, because she said it would be, like, probably three, four days a week that I'd have to go in there. And she said every time I'd go, I would have treatment. Yeah. And it'd be like five, six hours at a time. And I said, well, right now I'm dealing with the hyperbaric stuff right now. And I want to get that out of the way before I put another thing on my schedule because um, the hyperbaric chamber takes two hours of my day. So I want to get that out of the way. So next month when I'm done with this, I will, I'm going to call her back and set something up. And I'll go in there to talk to her about it and see the machine and and then we'll go from there. Okay, gotcha. make 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 sure you keep us updated on that because five to six hours a day, that sounds, that sounds excessive. So yeah. I do five days a week and we did two hours each time. Okay. And yeah. that was kind of perfect, to be honest. And I mean it it was a lot, but yeah. it wasn't I switched to nights and I, you know, it wasn't anything crazy. I would say crazy or extreme. So yeah. when you find that out, you let us know and we will. I will. We'll see if we can help out with that a little bit here and now. Yeah. And uh, they asked about the access that I'd be able to use. Cause I like the fact that Christina can use the catheter. I don't feel comfortable with cannulating myself, so I would have to have someone else do it, and it would honestly probably have to be a nurse because <coughs> I don't think Vanessa would be willing to do it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I had a fistula put in my arm in March, and it's just not maturing. I've had, I had one revision done in August, and now they want me to get another one done. And I'm like, I need to wait until the hyperbaric treatment stuff is done with before I get another, another revision done. Like, I I'm, I just need a break from procedures because, I don't know, this no, year. You get there. You get there where you need to just let your body kind of handle one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, 
So once I get this other revision, yeah, because the lady said was like, yeah, you need to get this other revision done so we can use your fistula. And I'm like, well, what if it's not an option? Like, what if it just doesn't mature? Can I use my catheter? She said, if there's no other possible access that we can use, then we can. So Okay. Well, that, that's promising yeah, that because is. a few places are absolutely not which I don't understand because yeah. throughout dialysis, you're going to have every access. So they should right. teach you every access. And so. But yeah, anywhere they're willing to negotiate and work with you, that that's good. You can work with them. Yep. Yeah. And when you guys told me that you can take a shower with the catheter, I was just like in shock. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I talked to my doctor about it. I'm like, yeah, look, there, she's able to take showers. She does this, this, and this to be able to do it. And I said, I want to be trained in how to train, uh, change my dressing and clean the, the site because when she gets out of the shower, she changes her bandage right away. And they said, well, it's against our policy. We can't do that. And you're not allowed to take showers. I'm like, well, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors in my house. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> and honestly, if they don't train me on how to change my dressing, I pretty much know how to do it myself. I could probably find those swab sticks that they use to clean the site on Amazon if I need to, to be honest. Well, and and I would I would start with advocating for yourself on that too, because yeah, we like we say, don't tell me I can't show me how I can, because right. you have to live, and yeah. that's what they need to realize is that you have to live. I mean, it's like if there's a big giant thunderstorm and it gets wet, is it are you gonna melt? No, you have to, you just have to take care of it. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it, it, life happens. And right. if they don't teach you every single thing that might possibly happen, then they're not preparing you. And yeah. and I think it it took a minute for them to realize that with Christina, that, listen, she, she wants to go swimming. She wants to do this. She wants to do this. You guys can either tell us how to do it or she, like you said, she's going to end up doing it behind your back. We're going right. to find a way to make it happen. And see, like yeah. my team in the beginning, they were the same way. Oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. But the thing is, is you, you will be able to grow with your team and just communicate effectively with them and let them know why it's so important to you and just see what you guys can work out together. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure you keep us updated on what's going on and maybe we can... Oh, make definitely. Some phone calls and yeah. call some people and maybe prep them because I don't think I I think, and it's like my mom has always said, the first indication, the first answer is going to be no. Yeah. You know, and and my mom taught me early on, ask the question three times, because the first one, first impulse, no. Second one, no. And then the third one, they're going to actually think about what's going on, what's happening, and think real life. Because I would ask the nurse, listen, if you had a CBC, would you be here or would you be home? And I you kind know? of think, too, I think that as patients, sometimes we need to realize that we need to do our homework and show them we can handle this. And yeah. after you show her, hey, 
I'm going to do everything you tell me and the steps you tell me and do it the correct way because this is my dialysis, I think she'll start to understand more as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So we kind of try to wrap up the interviews with our, our site is called Living on Dialysis. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I know you're a huge part of it now and you, you're freaking awesome on it. But could you tell me a couple things of how you are just living, living. on dialysis, you know? Um, well, I like to spend time with my friends and my son, obviously. We try to do stuff together. Um, you know, even before the whole foot thing. And my, my car is actually broke down right now, so we're not able to do a whole lot. But we we would go on little sporadic trips and go on adventures. We like to visit different zoos and petting farms that we have we have around here. Mm-hmm. Um, every week, like once a week lately, I've been having a game night with my sister, and we'll just sit around with my cousin and my nieces and play cards. So that's kind Good. of fun. That's good. That's, that's great. That's awesome. And. Also, I'm a huge huge advocate on educating others. So a lot of my posts on Facebook have been dialysis related and education about it and stuff. So, you know, the more people know, the better, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't really know about what dialysis does. Like recently I've had quite a few people ask me, what does dialysis do? And, you know, I explain it to them and they said, well, why does it take so long? And I said, well, because it doesn't, it's not a quick treatment. You know, you're. And they're getting 24 hours of dialysis. So it's going to take long. Right. And I like kind of telling them too that, you know, preventative care. Yeah. You know, if, if you would have known or, or even your parents, if they would have known little things of, blood pressure or UTI mm-hmm. of how yep. dangerous those can actually be. Yep. Yep. You know, it's, it's, we hear stories all the time, unfortunately, of situations like yours, yep. situations of, well, I had high blood pressure for over a year and a half or, you know, little things like that. Of, well, why the mm-hmm. hell did you have high blood pressure for that long? They, yep. well, they, they said that I'm watching it. <sighs> You know, I think so, too, that's why this is so important for you to, like, tell your story, because who knows who's out there right now thinking I am maybe maybe I'm in the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, it could have been prevented because when I had those reoccurring bladder infections as a kid, they only treated the bladder infection. They never like did any further testing to see how my kidneys were or anything. Yeah. Yeah unfortunately and so we're going to kind of wrap this up and we look so forward to meeting you again hopefully we'll be in washington dc again and we can meet up and we can party and just have a blast like we did last time and hopefully this next time we'll actually be able to talk to congress but yeah hopefully (laughs) so hopefully next time we like Maybe you can do an update or something in a couple months and find out how that hyperbaric chamber is working for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So this is Mike. And Christina. And Julie.
<laughs> and this has been awesome. And this is Living on Dialysis. Bye. Bye. Bye.